0: I'm Dr Kirsty Short and in this episode we chat to a wonder woman in science, the University of Queensland's Professor Christine Beveridge. Christine started out at uni training to be a teacher before turning over a new leaf. She's now a leading plant scientist researching ways to future-proof crops around the world. Thank you for joining me for another fantastic Women in Science podcast session and today I have the privilege of being joined by Christine Beveridge. Christine could you maybe start a little by telling us a little bit about your background. Where did you study? Where did you train? How did you get to where you are today?
1: Hi thanks Christy. I started off my studies at the University of Tasmania. I went there because I thought I'd like to be a teacher and then I did a really exciting research project uh, and then I did honours and then uh, stayed there, did a PhD and then I went to France for two years, had a great time doing a postdoc and then I came to the University of Queensland and I'm still here.
0: (laughs) And did you always want to be a scientist? How long was it before you decided teaching's not for me and science is my thing?
1: Well So when I did the the teaching kind of course, I was doing a whole range of different subjects and through the process of elimination, I ended up with plant sciences, the only one that I really loved. And then I decided, gee, I haven't really got very great marks, so I better perhaps do an honours year. And that's when I started to do my very first research project. And I was so excited because I was discovering something brand new that no one ever knew before. And then I sort of like got a bug, which was a science bug, and I just would wanted to stay doing research until somebody stopped paying me to do it and then I'd have to do something else but yeah I'm still here
0: and I think that's what a lot of young scientists feel initially they just get that enthusiasm or that something that sparks their interest so can you pinpoint in your career that one key moment where you thought wow this is amazing this is why I do science either early or later in your career?
1: Yeah, well, it was actually during that honours year when I was just weighing the weights of different plant parts, and the the theory was that this particular plant was actually putting its resources in different places due to a single gene, and I just thought that was the most amazing thing, and I know it sounds really super trivial, but, you know, the grandfather of genetics had done similar experiments, um, Mendel, and I... done this thing for the first time. And I was like, on the frontier of something amazing, you know, in my little fishbowl. So that was the moment sort of, I don't know, it was probably about two months into my honours year. And then I just started working so ridiculously hard so that I'd get a good mark.
0: <laughs> and <laughs> did it all work out then?
1: Then it all worked out. I got uh, got a good mark, thank goodness. Excellent. Not, not quite as good as it should have been. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And so then once you sort of had this idea in your head that, that science was now your passion and something that you wanted to follow, how did you carve out a career for yourself? Were you very strategic or did you depend on a lot of sort of fortuitous occasions? How do, you, how do you navigate that world?
1: Yeah, so for me, I just had this mantra that, as I said before, as long as they keep paying me, I'll keep doing it. So I really just one step in front of the other, not one day at a time really, but not far from that. So actually at the end of my PhD, which in the middle of that or earlier days was really quite a struggle, I wasn't getting anywhere. Uh, eventually I got to the end and then I actually got a job in the glass house and I also got offered a, this position in France and I'm like glasshouse job that sounds really cushy you know nine to five or go to France I don't speak French what am I going to do and my partner said well you have to go to France or I'm leaving you and I'm like oh okay <laughs> that makes the decision easy because yeah. <laughs> they knew that it was a really good choice to do that and that I would love it and I did so off I went and uh I was able to speak some English in the lab and I learned some French and it was a really amazing experience, both socially and academically, yeah.
0: And so what sort of advice do you offer now for this generation? How do you recommend to younger scientists trying to get that international engagement at the moment? What can they do? The
1: way that people have used online technologies is absolutely phenomenal. And actually, the the postdocs in my group now have a really global experience just by being online. And so they Zoom with people. And, you know, it it might seem that a a famous scientist overseas is like some big ivory tower or something, but they don't get hundreds of emails from fans. They really don't. So if you write to, to somebody that you're interested in and you've got an interesting question, just just write to them and maybe even Zoom with them. It's so easy.
0: And is that then your favourite part about being a scientist, that international collaborations, or is it the joy of discovery that you still have all these years later?
1: No, certainly the joy of discovery and the joy of of other people's journey as well. I think I, I really did want to be a teacher as well. And I think an academic a scientist allows you to do a bit of both. The excitement that, that anybody sees, you know, it's like a child's first steps, you know, that's an exciting thing to watch. And I think um, whilst uh, students aren't children at all, they're still experiencing a lot of things for the first time and they're you know, you can really influence their journey and that's a really rewarding part of it. But no, the international thing is is so great that you can develop friends that are living in many other, many different friends living in other places that really gives you an exposure to the world that you wouldn't otherwise get because you literally get to go and stay at their homes and, you know, have really personal relationships with them because they're really into what you're into. And so you've got a lot to talk about and it enables you to develop very deep Relationships, which is yeah, it's
0: a very deep and instant connection when you have something like that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And so then, in terms of mentoring, because that sounds like that's something that's very high on your priority list and something that you're very passionate about. What's your general approach to mentoring when you have a student who comes into your group? How do you ensure that they're going to get the best out of the experience whilst also learning as much as they can?
1: Well, one of the things I, I talk to students about is to think about not what's in it for me as a supervisor like a lot of them come to you and they just want to please you I'm like you know that's not what you're here for you're here to get your career started or your PhD so I try to get them to think about their PhD as a small business so, or, or in fact, their whole experience is a small business. So you've got all sorts of stakeholders. You've got the person who's going to read your first paper to review it. You've got somebody who's going to read your first grant. Then, you know, I'm a, I'm a stakeholder to a degree because I'm paying for, for the resources they're using. So I want them to be used efficiently. But then they might also think about their private life. How do they manage their private life in relation to all of this and So they've got to think, well, what do they want out of their business? Where do they want to go? And when you're a little fledgling business, maybe it's hard to to think about the really big picture. So start off a little step at a time and grow your business. And don't stress too much about the long term, but don't completely ignore it either, because then you'll restrict your business into the future. So...
0: I think that's a really fantastic analogy because it really gives students the room to see that they can be incredibly successful by running just a small business, or they can choose to expand their business and still be incredibly successful, or they can take their business in a completely different direction and still maintain success. And I think that's what we're seeing more and more with students these days. How do you address the fact that now there isn't really a conventional route in science? There is, I think... Traditionally there was this idea you do your PhD, you do a postdoc, then you run your own group and that's sort of that was the series of events. But now there's so much more engagement with industry, there's engagement with uh, public policy. How do you help your students navigate those different fields?
1: Well, one of the things I I really encouraging the students is to take the most of opportunities. A place like UQ will have a lot of opportunities in terms of extra learnings that they can do along the way. And that each time they're in an environment, say a new environment, uh, for example, a conference, or even just interacting with colleagues in the cafeteria, they can think about how to make the most of that from an academic or or a social point of view. That's one aspect of it. And the other is I, I really get them to think about, you know, like we're saying with a small business, there's Many ways you could take that. So, you know, get a little nibble of this and a little taste of that and sort of figure out what what you like and also maybe pursue the things that you know that you're good at and and make them really, really excellent and be a good connector, talk to to colleagues and, and so on. Yeah, but I think taking the most of opportunities, not wasting your time doing something mediocre when you could be using the same amount of time to just do it a little bit better.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think it's interesting to have this perspective, not only from a fantastic scientist like yourself, but also from a woman in science. And maybe you could tell us just a little bit more about your experience as a woman in science and how you see the position of women in science has changed over the course of your career. Yeah, well,
1: it's easy to describe how much has changed.
0: So when I did my
1: undergraduate and PhD, there were no female academics in my school at all. So I had no, no female role models. The females were all in, in support roles, such as the um, administrative staff of the school and um, the people that were managing the, the practicals for the labs. And during my postdoc, um, my supervisor was a female and she was about seven years older than me, so, you know, that, that was a great experience for me. And now we have a woman who's who's the dean of the faculty and now we have a female vice-chancellor. So, you know, the environment has changed dramatically. But I, I don't suppose that I... The gender's been really, really important to me in my career, I, I don't feel. But then I'm a sort of loud, sort of, you know, reasonably outgoing kind of person. I think that people of that type are uh, sort of... Able to sort of mingle with with louder other louder sort of people, which males tend to be. So I think that for the women that I've seen that are extremely successful and more quietly spoken, I would say that they're just persistent. Mm -hmm. Um, They have a clear message, and they they probably choose their battles like we all do. But I, I think it's just still a little bit sort of lonely, if you like, in a way, being a female academic in some environments.
0: That's a really nice segue into some of our quick-fire questions, if you don't mind. Can you tell us which woman or women have been the most inspiring or had the biggest influence on you in your life? Well, I would say Wonder Woman. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) I mean,
1: she's sort of, you know, get everything done kind of person. And I, I just thought, well, why not? Why shouldn't women be able to do that too? But there's plenty of new women around now to to, to look up to. Bromahash DVCR Research, for example, great role model.
0: And not necessarily having to wear the Wonder Woman outfit all the time as That's well. That's correct. <laughs> all right. So do you think overall now women are facing much less gender-related challenges in their career? Or is it just that the forms in which they're facing these challenges have changed over time? Look,
1: I think self-identity is one of the biggest issues that you have. It really if your family environment's really not encourage you to go down sort of a big career track, I think that that self-identity that comes with that makes it really really difficult for you. I think there are enough women around to give you a bit of a hint of how, how to do things, but and I think the processes that we're trying to establish now or have established particularly with new initiatives um, that you know universities across Australia and worldwide have been undertaking recently the barriers are, are difficult to identify. Women never, didn't have the vote at some point. That's a big barrier. Um, now I think it's more subtle. So I think women need to surround themselves with women and men who support them. I think that's a key issue. You've got to be supported by the people around you. If you're not, you've got to find other people. Those ones are no good. 100%
0: <laughs> a strong support network really can make all the difference. All the difference. So finally, what is the best piece of advice that either you have received over your career or that you would like to give to the next generation of scientists?
1: Enjoy. Just enjoy. Enjoy what you're doing. Do things that you enjoy more than the things you don't enjoy and work towards achieving that as your goal. Because if you love what you're doing, you just can't fail.
0: I think that's a fantastic words to end on. So thank you very much for your time and sharing a bit of your amazing career with us.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you.
0: That's all for this episode of Women in Science. In our next episode, we'll venture into the world of dark energy with astrophysicist Professor Tamara Davis. This podcast was produced by Dr. Marlouz Decker, Dr. Marina Fortez, Belinda McDougall and Matt Taylor. Technical production was by Daniel Seed. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure you subscribe or like wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Dr. Kirsty Short. Thanks for listening.